while you're finding Ephesians chapter 6. I don't want to necessarily bring up bad memories, but if you have, if you're patriotic, you like the Olympics, you're into track, uh, you'll remember last summer, Beijing Olympic Games, uh, there, was, there, was a, there was an evening that it brought a little bit of trauma and major disappointment in my house. That was when the, uh, the 4x100, it's, it's really one of the kind of the specialty Olympic events. It's been one that the Americans, especially American men, have dominated. And if you remember, it was in the semifinals. And the men who, you know, I really want to see them run against Jamaica, uh, they totally must an exchange. Okay? I mean... You know, you see it and you think, like, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. You're running the race. You just got that little baton, that little stick. You just got to put it in that guy's hand. You got, you have a 20-meter exchange zone. That's, that's a pretty decent place. You think that all you could, you could be able to do that in 20 meters, and the guys messed it up. And I'm like, oh, man, how could that be? You know, and I'm like, okay. So the women, they're going to, they're going to redeem us. They're going to make it happen. Uh, I'm going to forget what happened in 2004 where they dropped it, but I, they're going to make it, and this is, and so... And a few minutes later, the women get there. And you know what? They missed it. They missed it in the exchange zone. And they, too, they ended up being disqualified. I'm like, oh, how could that be? Because it looks like it'd be so easy. Now, I've, I've run track, and so I know that it's actually very difficult. In fact, you know, it's the running is the easy part. The most difficult part of a relay race is actually that exchange. That's what they spend their time practicing on. You have words, you have form, you're practicing it. You got that baton, you learn how to carry it, and you learn how to slap it in that guy's hand. And it is actually very difficult. I know our Baylor 4x400 team makes it look easy, and they got this big string of victories. But you need to know that every single exchange zone is tenuous, man. It's like, can they do it? Because that's where they're going to get tripped up. You see, the exchange zone is the most difficult part of the relay race. And really, it is the exchange zone that is really the most difficult part of the passing on of life and faith to the next generation. If you are a parent and you have children in your home, this 20-year period in which they're home from the time that you bring them home from the hospital till you send them off when they're big boys and girls and they're out on their own, this is the exchange zone. And it is the most difficult part. Uh, it, is, it is critical that you pass on everything that they need to know for life and faith and godliness. And you've got a window of opportunity, namely these 20 years, to do it. And yet it is it's so difficult. And we have to ask this question as parents. How in the world do you even do it? How do you do it? And I, let me just tell you, this is a critical generation. Our morals are being changed in front of our face on a daily basis. The society that we know today will not be known probably in 10 years from now. And look how quickly things are changing. Look at like some of you who are older, 60, 70. Look how much the world has changed in a short period of time. Things that were just like no way are commonplace today. They're discussed, they're in our papers, they're in TV, the media talks about it as if it's the norm. And we have a critical thing to do as parents, and that is to pass on life and faith, godliness, to give them an example and to entrust them this next generation. It is the exchange zone. And how in the world do we go about it? What is really interesting, the fact that it's so critical, is what makes this interesting is that God gives us very few specifics on how we're to do it as parents. But what he gives us is golden. 
It is simple, but it is not simplistic. We are meant not only to memorize these verses, this becomes our lifeblood on how we actually go about parenting. And we, as we have come through our study of Ephesians, in chapter 6, verse 4, we have landed upon one of the key verses on how God instructs us as parents to pass on the faith, to train our children. We find it in verse 4. In Ephesians 6, 4, he actually draws attention to the role of godly parents in a Christ-centered family. And really, let me just tell you the passion of a godly parent. The passion of godly parents is to see their children made complete in Christ. That is our goal. We want to see our children made complete in Christ. And this verse, Ephesians 6, 4, gives us three guiding principles. So let's just look at this verse. We're going to spend this week, and then we're going to spend not next week, but the week after, going through this and talking about what does this mean and how do we apply it to our life. Look at 6.4. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let me give you the first guiding principle that you and I need to take to heart. And that is, parents, you have to take responsibility. Notice what he says, fathers. Now, that word technically refers to male parents, but it can also refer to parents in general. It does in Hebrews 11.23. It speaks of Moses' parents. It is really noticing father as the head of his family, which he's already established when we went through looking at the roles of husbands and wives in marriage. He is addressing fathers specifically as leaders, but it really is a term that speaks to both parents. And you have to take responsibility. Now, when we come to Ephesians 6-4, I read that. I noticed that not, no, one, no, one, no one stirred. I didn't see anybody stand up like, whoa. But 2,000 years ago, this was the most revolutionary statement that Paul wrote. In terms of family relationships, we just like, okay, fathers, you're supposed to do that. Okay, that makes sense. What Paul wrote here was absolutely contrary to Roman society and actually what happened also in most Jewish homes. In the Roman society, if you're a Roman citizen, as a father, you had under Roman law what was called patria potestas, which means the father's power. The father ruled everything. He could be a tyrant or he could be benevolent, but he had, by law, he had absolute control of his entire household. And so legally, he didn't have to go to court to do this. He could determine whatever he wanted to do with his wife, with his slaves, and with his own children. He had the right to do it. So like for his children, if he wanted to, he could actually, he could disown his children He could turn his children into slaves. He even legally had the right to kill them, to actually have them put to death because it was all part of the the Roman law and these were the rights that were given to him. And so what would happen in a home, if you were a Roman citizen, what what would happen when the child is born? That child would then be laid and placed at the feet of the father. And the, the, the father then had a choice. If the father picked up that child, that child would be raised in his home. But if for whatever reason that father decided that he was not going to pick up that child, he would walk away and that baby would be discarded. Pretty similar to what we have in abortion today. I don't want you. You're not going to be in my home. All he had to do was turn and walk away and that baby would be done away with. Okay. Now, there are two ways. If the baby seemed to be healthy then oftentimes what was done is that that baby would be picked up, 
taken to the forum down kind of in the city center, placed there on the steps. And later on in that day, people who were looking to to raise slaves or prostitutes would pick that child up and that would be their life. Patria, potestas, the father's power. He ruled. He could call it. He could do whatever he wanted. These were not people. These, this, these were property, and that's how they were treated. And even in a lot of Jewish homes, there were fathers that ruled with a very domineering authority. And so when Paul wrote that fathers, this is how you're to live. Do not provoke your children to anger to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This was absolutely countercultural. Paul turned the cultural norm upside down. You see, he was saying, you are in Christ. You who were once dead, spiritually dead, you were destined for wrath. You have been saved by God, by grace. You did nothing for it. He in God and his great love for you has rescued you from sin, from damnation, from hell, from a life of self-centeredness to a life of experiencing the grace of God, of seeing the loveliness of Christ and the, the sure promise of spending eternity with him. Your life has been radically, absolutely changed. And because we've been united with Christ, there are to be implications and manifestations of this transformation being worked out in our life, especially in our homes. And Paul presents this is the heart of God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Fathers, these may be your legal rights. You may have spent generations in homes where dads ruled like tyrants. No more. You were under Christ. In fact, he says in verse 21, you are to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. You align yourself under the Lord and by the grace of God, you follow what he has said. Now, I just want to tell you that parenting, in my experience, has perhaps been the greatest relationship that has pointed out my need of grace and of Christ. I mean, I wish I could say, well, this week, and as we go through this parenting series, I've got it all figured out. And you just learn from me. I'm coming to you as a fellow learner, as a fellow failure, but one who's experienced the grace of God. I'm like one beggar saying to another, listen, let me tell you where I have found bread in God through his word. You know, if you are going to do this verse, let's be realistic you have to know Christ. There's no raising your children and the discipline and instruction of the Lord when you don't know him. That's called hypocrisy. You have to begin with Christ. And if parenting hasn't broken you yet, what will? Don't you see your failures? I mean, you think, you know, last time we talked about children obeying your parents. Does that come naturally to obey your parents? Anybody stand up? That, can, that did not come naturally for me. Now, there are a few kids that's a little more oriented that way, but for the most part, we, we have struggles with that, but all of us are disobedient. It's difficult for children to do, as God has said, this is the path of life and blessing. Obey your parents. Honor them. But you know what? It is just as difficult, if not more so, for parents to do as this text, text has said, and not to provoke our children to anger and to raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We need Christ. And if you're here without him, this is your moment to turn from all of your sinfulness, which parenting points out 
and to trust him and him alone for your salvation, for your strength. We need forgiveness. We need wisdom. We need courage. We need conviction. We need commitment. All of this has to be sourced in a living, abiding relationship with Christ. Apart from that, you can do nothing. And parenting will point that out. You know, we're talking about Christian parenting. I don't want to be a Christian parent. Christian parenting is parents related to Christ, drawing strength from Christ, coming to him for grace, forgiveness, for courage, for mercy. And from this relationship with Christ, then they are seeking to minister to their children. That is Christian parenting. And friends, you've got to take responsibility if you're a parent. If you can't think that, well, I'm going to leave it up for the Sunday school teacher. Or, uh, you know, they're teachers. I think some of their teachers are Christians at school and they're going to get some good stuff there. Or they'll pick it up from the TV and Barney will help them out or whatever, or Sesame Street. No, it is not the youth pastor. It's not the Sunday school teacher. I don't care what your educational choices are for your children. Even if you send them to a Christian school, that is not a proxy for your involvement. God commands and directs you as parents. You are the primary charge of your children. It is your responsibility to train them, to care for them. You need to own it. You need to take it on. You need to reject passivity and you need to accept responsibility. If you have kids and they are living in your home, this is your responsibility. Do not pass it off because we are going to be evaluated on what we did with God's instruction. And so that's what we do. It all begins with recognizing this is addressed to us and taking responsibility and ownership. He's talking to me. Now, he says, first of all, fathers... Do not provoke your children to anger. So the first guiding principle is to take responsibility. Let me give you the second. And we're going to spend really the bulk of our time talking about the second guiding principle. And that is to treat with sensitivity. See what he said? He says, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not cultivate a deep-seated anger and resentment that is going to boil over to outward hostility and rebellion in your children. Now, we could uh, just say, well, we're just going to read this verse and we're going to just do one week on this verse. But the more I've thought about this and looked at it like in its parallel passage in Colossians 3, where he says, do not provoke your children to anger. I, I feel like we need to talk about this pretty deeply, because if we are provoking our children to anger, we are going to short circuit the process of actually training them how to live rightly, correctly to walking with God. You see, it begins with us in our heart. We have to address us. If we're going to minister to others, we minister from what's going on in our heart, in our life. And so he says, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not have a method, a manner, a MO, a modus operandi of how you go about your parenting that seems to like cultivate anger and resentment in your family, especially in your children. It's like you're feeding the fire with leaves and twigs and wood. We're not to parent that way. We want to parent in such a way that obedience and honor are desirable to our children. But if you go about it wrong, your manners, your methods, your consistent way is to really, it's really creating resentment in your children, then the process is going to break down. And anger, let me just tell you what anger does. You see, anger breaks down our pursuit of God. It breaks down our desire for righteousness. It creates 
uh, a trajectory in a person's life where holiness is not something that's considered, but rather self-centeredness, rebellion, doing life on our own. Remember what we looked about in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27? He says, you know, be angry, but do not sin and do not let the sun go down in your anger. Why? Because he says in the next verse, and do not give the devil an opportunity. You see, when we live or our kids live in kind of some habitual patterns of anger, it gives Satan an opportunity to have his way and his sway in their life. Now, let's talk about this for a second. This isn't like, oh, some of you kids are like, I am taking notes. This is good. Whoa, keep going, Grant. You mean like if my parents make me angry, they're the ones that are sinning. Uh, You need to know something. They are going to make you angry at times, generally because of your self-centeredness and sin. You're called to obey and honor your parents, even if they are aggravating. Right? Okay? That is your charge. You're to obey and honor them. This isn't a card like, oh, you can't make me angry. That's what it says in the Bible. This is your verse, right? I got my verse. No. Uh Uh-uh. Your job is to honor and respect them. This is addressed to parents and addressed at a heart issue. They are not to be creating anger and resentment and bitterness in your life. And they are going to seek to go in a particular way. And so we need to recognize that. And, and just by the way, parents, if you have an anger issue, that, that needs to be addressed. You need to go to God. You need to perhaps seek help. But there needs to be repentance a continual confession, a drawing upon grace that you can actually take steps forward where anger isn't the dominating emotion in your home. And so that's what I want to look at. How is it, though, that parents can provoke their children to anger? It might seem just at first glance like not a big deal, but there is so much to it. It's kind of like taking a microscope and looking at an amoeba, but you get a real powerful microscope, you find out there's tons of things going on in just that one little cell. So it is with this particular verse. You know, one of the ways that parents provoke their children to anger, uh, and I'm, I'm drawing upon like my years as a parent, failures as a parent, many years as a youth pastor and just a guy who worked in the working world and worked with kids and being a, and a, being a pastor and just working with parents and their children. Let me just tell you one of the ways that happens, showing favoritism. You know, if you if you're comparing your child and you you are going to show kind of your love and affection, appreciation, and you make it known that you've got your favorite. What do you think that does to the one that's not your favorite? Well, it stirs up frustration and a sense of loss. They become identified as kind of like the black sheep of the family. And if you would like a biblical illustration of this, you look at how Isaac favored Esau over Jacob and Rebekah favored Jacob over Esau. And if you want to see the outworkings of that, we still today have implications through their lines where they're at hostility with one another. And so do not be showing favoritism, okay? Your child becomes discouraged, resentful, withdrawn, bitter when that happens. If you compare other children especially if they hear you doing that, you're marking them. Let me give you another, demeaning them. This is uh, depreciating their worth, where you kind of convince them that what they feel and do are simply not important. You, you use words, attitudes, actions. You use your eyes, your facial expressions. When, when you do this, when you demean them, what's doing is it, it's, it's crushing them. But it's actually planting the seeds. They're like fire and they will grow. I, frankly, I cringe at some of the things that I've heard parents say to their children in public. 
couple times I felt like, I think I should talk to this parent, even though I don't even know who they are. Because they are scarring this kid. They are building up a fire that is going to rage. If you, you want to be real careful with your words, parents. If you, if you call your kid a brat or a tyrant, my kid, oh, it's tired. he's terrible too. He's in the terrible teenagers. And you say these things, they are going to live up to the reputation that you're painting. And you are the one that is fostering that. You're provoking them to anger. You want to be real careful with your words. Demeaning them is going to have an effect that you simply do not want. Uh, let me give you another improper expectations. You know, we have we have parents and they were good at something or they had glory years, perhaps as an athlete or in music or in academics. And so what they seek to do is they have improper expectations. They place those on their children. They have to do the same thing. And what makes work makes it worse is that we have some parents who didn't really have glory days, but they want everybody to think they did. And so they're going to create the glory days of their own kids. And it is weird. And it is it is hurting your child because your child is different than you, likely. Your job is to unfold them, realize how God has gifted them, and help them grow in grace. But if you have all these weird expectations on your children, uh, you're, you're going to hurt them, and they are going to learn to resent you. And so what you want to do is you want to encourage them, coach them, guide them, give them an example, but you want to be really careful that you do not place false expectations upon them. And so that's what we want to do. Like, I read uh, John MacArthur. He's a pastor, and he came across this gal. He was asked to go visit this this girl. She grew up as a she was a Christian. She grew up in a Christian home. Uh, she when he visited her, she was in a padded cell in a state of catatonic shock. And and like he visited her, knowing that she's a Christian, knowing that she came from a Christian home, trying to figure out what in the world caused this. And what really resulted in this, this beautiful gal ending up in that situation was the ceaseless pushing of her mother. Her mother pushed her to be the most popular, the most beautiful, the most successful girl in school. And she applied everything to it. She became the head cheerleader. She was the homecoming queen. And she was later a model. But the pressure to excel, especially being pushed by her mother, led to pressure that was so great that she just snapped. Eventually, when she got out of her institution, she actually went back to that same artificial world of all that pressure, especially coming from mom, and she eventually committed suicide. MacArthur writes, in talking with her about the frustration, she summed it up this way, quote, I don't care what I do, it never satisfies my mother. Friends, if you've uh, you got improper expectations on your kids, uh, it can have damaging, lifelong implications. I'll give you another way parents sometimes provoke their children to anger, and that is overprotection. You micromanage them. You see, as your children grow, you want to cultivate and develop trust where they learn to trust you, but you learn to trust them so that they grow and develop. By the time they're 16, 17, 18, there is a bond of trust that they have grown, that they know that you trust them. But if you have rules for everything they do, like how they breathe, how many times they blow their nose, what they do, I mean, like what you're doing is you're constraining them. You are like taking your child and putting them in a cage. And this, is, this happens with parents. They do it because I really love my children. I'm concerned about them and everything they do and how they walk and what they do. And, and, but you, you have so many restrictions upon them, so many rules, so many guidelines. It's like putting them in a cage. And I have seen this. 
I, I was a youth pastor for a lot of years, worked with ki- high school kids and junior high kids. I've seen this pattern. This is what happens. You've got your overprotective parent. They basically have their kid in a cage. About 18, they open the door and they let them out. And the kid doesn't even know how to function. And they go out into the big forest and they get eaten alive. They're exposed to things they don't know how to react. They never actually face these things. They never made any mistakes at home, so they never learned how to handle failure. And they cross lines so quickly. And it is shocking how fast they can fall. And, you know, people, kids that are in this environment, sometimes the only way they feel like they can get any sense of freedom and liberty is if they rebel. And some of them do. Overprotection is one of the ways. If that is your M.O. of how you're working with your kids, you're short-circuiting the process. Let me give you another. Giving criticism without encouragement. You know, our kids need to have as much, if not more, encouragement from us than criticism. You get the report card, and you'll look at, man, they got some great grades, and they move forward in some of the classes, but you're really focused on, how did you get a C and PE? How is that possible? I always got an A. You know, the teacher looked at me, they saw I was an athletic stud, they gave me an A. No. And you, you always focus on the negative. Friends, what's going to happen is your kids are going to feel like they're just, they can never measure up. And it, they're going to be destined for trouble. They need your encouragement. They need to know that you love them. You care for them. And if you are just always griping at them and you're never encouraging them, you're provoking anger in your child and resentment. Another one is just making your kids feel unwanted. If you have a way of expressing your children that they are an intrusion to your life and to your pursuit of happiness, which you think is a constitutional right, and you're bothering me and you're in my way, what is happening is your kids are learning to resent you because you actually are resenting them. They stand in your way to what you want in life. Kids that grow up in an environment like that, they, they eventually are going to rebel. Isn't that what you wanted them to do anyway? You didn't like them in the first place. You know, let me just ask you, parents, do your kids know that you are on their team? When they strike out, when the ball goes into the goal and their kid's the goalie, when it didn't quite work out, when they did mess up, do you love them unconditionally? Because what's happening is you are shaping their view of God. And we need parents who are biblical, who love their children with a whole heart, not just when they are good, but even when they're not. Because that's how God loves us. Isn't that amazing? Even when I am not good. Even when I do the wrong thing, my heavenly Father's love is so great. He, never, he doesn't have some sort of contractual relationship. He loves me the same whether I'm doing the right thing or even when I'm doing the wrong thing. I can grieve Him, but I know He loves me absolutely completely. That's what our parents are looking for. That's what parents we need to be doing. Our children are looking for that. I mean, think of it. Some of you who grew up in homes where you were loved conditionally, you had all these weird expectations placed upon you. It may have been one of the things that drove you to the grace of God, but it wasn't until you learned about a heavenly father's love that you actually started to become free and able to develop. Don't do that to your kids. Don't return the favor. Don't pass on the tradition. Parents, do not provoke your children to anger. Let me give you this one. If you are physically or, and or verbally abusive, you are provoking your children to anger. Proper physical discipline is not you 
exerting superior authority and doing it with a sense of kind of you like like this, like you're a power player and you're to show them who's boss and you're going to you're going to punish them uh, corporally in great ways and let them know you're the real guy and demand that that demands respect. Um, when you do that, when you cut your children down, you yell at them and tell them they're you're stupid, you're an idiot, and get out of my hair, get out of my face, get out of here, get. Friends, uh, you've crossed the line from being appropriate to absolutely improper and uh, abuse verbally, tearing them down, physically, beating them down. Friends, you're provoking your children anger. You have stepped outside of what God has called you to do. So I I just want to be real clear. If abuse is taking place in your home, you, you need help. You need to talk to someone to help you. Because, frankly, you are going to have a very destructive influence on your children. Let me give you another. Living by a double standard. What's the idea that, you know, you, you tell your kids, I don't want you to lie. But then you lie. You lie when you, like, you can get your kids in a little cheaper by lying about their age. You lie on your taxes and like and they find out about it you lie to different people you say like respect is really important i want you to respect me but then you are totally disrespectful to your employer them other people and they and they you know what happens with kids are like trying to reconcile this you tell me to be respectful but you're totally disrespectful what what is going on here and it makes them upset and it bothers them and they're like man my parents they're not going to listen to you when you're trying to tell them about God when you're living by the, the double standard. The whole idea of do as I say, not as I do, doesn't work, especially in parents, as with parents and their kids. They're just like, man, I don't understand what you're doing and why you're doing this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Let me give you another one. Presence without involvement. We think we're doing good because we showed up at home. We made it, but we're never engaged we're locked up on the TV. There's, there's something going on on ESPN, and it lasts 10 hours, and it demands our full attention. Or our video games. Or, we're, well, you know, I brought my work home. And you spend, you basically come home, you shove some food in your face, and then you go and you work for another five hours. The kids go to bed. You've never talked to them, and you never engage them. If that is your standard pattern of life, where, yeah, you should have been home, but you're never engaged with your children, there's going to be breakdown. They're going to learn to resent you. They're going to become frustrated. They want to be not just where they can see you at times. They want to actually connect with you. Let me give you another thing about, uh, about this. Being in a, regularly in a disagreeable mood. You know, you can actually get this veneer. And we all know what we're talking about where you can be nice to people like out in social, out at the workforce, right? You're doing your job. And you have this veneer of niceness. That come, but when you come home... Off with that, and you know, and you're just mad and upset, and that's just your life. And you just kind of belly aching and billowing around, and you just kind of, and that every single night you just come home, and that's just how you function. That's going to have an effect on your kids. Uh, let me, let me also bring up something else. Unhealthy approach to discipline. Now, if you're not starting discipline soon enough. You're setting yourself up for failure in the future. If you think like, well, you know, my kid is just too cute to ever spank or to slap their little hand. I think I'll start that in the teenage years. <laughs> that, let me just tell you, it's too late. You want to start when you're young. 
Like the Bible says, Proverbs 19:18, you want to discipline your son while there is still hope. Don't desire his death. You want to discipline him while you, while you have an opportunity. You want to start with your children when they're very young. And we're going to talk a lot about this next time when we talk about just the real practical ways. How do you actually train and raise up your children? But also with that, though, you don't want to be excessive in your discipline. Okay? You don't want to be just constantly just threatening corporal punishment, you know, like you enjoy that. No parent is to punish their children with it, you know, like just excessive excessively or just always looking for every little infraction you don't want to be excessive in your in your discipline you also don't want to be inconsistent this really drives kids crazy like like you let's say you have something that they're not supposed to do in your home and three times you let them get away with it but then the fourth time you break out in a cardiac arrest and you just come unglued you know and then you're really and you come you come down way too heavy on them you're totally inconsistent they just did the same thing they did the last three times they went and touched that thing that you told them not to touch. But the fourth time, you come unglued. That is being inconsistent. And you're, you're basically looking for trouble. And when you demonstrate force without love, when they think that you're just disciplining them because you're just mad and you actually, actually have a slight, if not a significant, disdain for them, you're just using your brute force upon them, and there's no love, friends, it's, uh, it's going to take your child and drive his heart to a point of anger. It's one of the tragic facts of religious history. Martin Luther's father was so very severe with him that all throughout Martin Luther's life, even after he came to know Christ, he had great degree of difficulty addressing God as father because of the sternness of his earthly father. In fact, he wrote this, quote, spare the rod and spoil the child. It is true. But beside the rod, keep an apple to give him when he does well. Let me give you just a few more. Not giving age-appropriate guidelines, okay? Well, this is the flip side of overprotection. This is a parent like, I don't care what my kid does. It's fine. I want to give them freedom. I want them to express themselves. I want them to do whatever they want to do. They want to write on the neighbor's car, on his window. They want to break things. They want to throw temper tantrums. It's fine. Everything's fine. I don't care when they come in, what they do, who they're with. I, I want to be a modern parent. I want to give them freedoms. That never works. I read of one wayward girl who said, quote, I never knew how far I could go because my parents never cared enough to discipline me. I figured that if it wasn't important to them, why should it be important to me? Left on their own, kids can't handle that kind of freedom. Children who have too much autonomy feel insecure and they feel unloved. I remember when I was a youth pastor, we ran this great big Christmas party. And your kids had just gotten out of school that day. Everybody's pumped, excited. We had this huge party in our gym. It was a great time. When it's all over and we're getting them all out and sitting all home, one of my high school leaders uh, came and said, Hey, John's in the hall, down the hall. He's really upset. I think you need to go talk to him. So I, I went down. Here's John, junior in high school. Hey. Now, John had recently become a Christian. I knew all about his home life and how terrible it was. I said, John, hey, what's going on, man? Why are you so upset? He's crying. Here's your high school guy. He's like, my parents don't love me. Why do you, why do you say that? Because they don't care where I'm at or who I'm with. They don't care. And you know what? He was right. I had nothing to say to that about them not caring about anything they want, where he's at and what he does. Friends, when you don't have age-appropriate guidelines, you're not loving your children. What you're doing is abandoning the post. You are not taking responsibility 
and it creates major problems for your children. Let me give you a couple more. Being conditional with your love. You love your child when they're good and when they're bad or they don't do something quite the way you want. You withdraw. You turn the shoulder and you give them the cold shoulder. What are you doing? You are training your children to be dysfunctional adults. And you're developing resentment and bitterness in them. They need a parent who loves them that can show them a God who loves them unconditionally. Let me give you one final one. Failing to give and ask for forgiveness. Uh, You know, when you're holding a grudge against your children after they've apologized, what that does is creating a smoldering resentment toward you. And if you are too proud to go and ask for forgiveness for the things that you have done wrong, say, hey, you know what? what? What happened back there? I am sorry specifically what I did or said. Will you forgive me? What you're doing is you're creating a cycle in their life where they're going to continue the same patterns and they're going to resent you. What does the text say? Fathers, parents, do not provoke your children to anger. Anger causes people to lose heart and it causes them to harden their heart. In Colossians 3.21, he actually says something very similar. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. We want the heart of our child. We love them. We care for them. We want them to know God. We want them to know love, faithfulness, forgiveness. Our kids aren't expecting us to be perfect. They are expecting us to be real. They want a real example of a parent who really loves God and really loves them. And so three guiding principles for godly parents. You've got to take responsibility You need to treat with sensitivity. And the third is to train for maturity. And this is what we're going to talk about in two weeks. We're going to give a lot of focus on this. But look what the text says. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up has the idea of nourish to maturity. You want to nourish them emotionally, intellectually, physically, spiritually, socially. That is the goal of parenting. We want them to come to know God, to be complete disciples of Christ. We are concerned of every aspect of their life, not just, well, I fed them. They got something to keep the rain off their head. That's the extent of my parenting. No, that's like kind of the given of parenting. Hopefully you're able to do that. But you got to engage in their heart, their life, their mind, help them develop socially, learn right from wrong, discernment, truth from falsehood. This is what we're to do. We're to bring them up and notice what he says in the discipline has the idea of training and instruction could also be translated like nurture, nurturing, training and instruction and instruction, putting into mind that which is truth, but also not just giving them information. But there's right attitudes and there's right principles for behavior. All of this, you see that in of the Lord. We want our relationship with the Lord to not only govern and guide and empower how we relate to our children, but we also want to point our children to the central relationship of Christ in their life. Christ-centered family. That is the passion of godly parents, is seeing their children become complete in Christ. Now, this has been pretty heavy, hasn't it? Take a breath, right? You know, as I've, I've... working on this and sitting in an airport, kind of thinking these things through. There's a lot of times there's some pretty deep conviction in my heart of ways that I didn't do it quite right. 
There's plenty of times where I am going to the Lord and confessing my sin before him, pleading for his mercy and thanking him for his grace, because parenting is absolutely difficult. It is the exchange zone and we need God more than ever. Let me just let me give you just three points I want to remind you with. There are no perfect parents. Okay, no perfect parents. There is one who is perfect. He's Christ. And we need him. Let me give you a second. Every parent has the ability to improve. You and I are not just like, well, this is the best I can do by doing nothing. No, we're to grow in grace and godliness. We need to apply ourselves. We need to seek Christ. We need to grow and learn how to be a better listener, being consistent as a disciplinarian. We have to grow. You are not off the hook. I, as your pastor, am telling you, God, who has given you children, is going to say, what in the world did you do with the kids that I gave you? This is serious. Let me give you a third thing I'd like to remind you. Remember, we do not parent alone. You know who loves your kids more than you do? God. At the same time he's working through you, he is working in them. We can't change our hearts. Our hearts, God needs to do so. We can't change our kids' heart. God must bring them to salvation. God must bring the growth. That is why we pray. Because we know that it's the Lord Almighty who must do these things. But you don't parent alone. God is working not only in you, but he's working in your child. And let me tell you something else. You see, when you put your faith and trust in Christ, you became part of a body, a body of believers. You do not parent alone. You have God who is at work, and you also have God's people who are coming alongside you, alongside us, helping to raise and develop a godly generation, taking their role and their part in the exchange zone. And so this is the passion of godly parents, to see their children made complete in Christ. And you do not parent alone. And so what I'd like to do at this time, I would like to invite all of the people that are working our children's ministry with the kids. They're going to come forward at this time. And they're going to come up here. And I just want you to take a look at the exchange zone.